Morning, all. Dang, it's dark out there. Um, hey, Happy New Year. I was sick last week, so I couldn't be with you. I heard it was a really sweet service, um, so thank you for participating in that. Uh, if you were here last week, and I uh, invite you to kind of cons- continue in that posture of expectancy and hope and forward-looking, uh, especially over the next three weeks. Because New Year's always one of those times where you see it all over TV, books written on it, and, you know, there's this time of looking back and looking forward and reconsidering, am I currently structuring, ordering, living my days the way that matters? Uh, what even does matter? How do I determine that? And answering some of those questions. So here, here might be one way to distill down how am I ordering my days and does it matter the way that I spend my time right now? What if this was your last New Year's? What if 23 was it? What if there was that time sometime in the next year where that was it? That was the end. If this was the end of the world as you know it, would you feel fine? To quote my friends R.E.M. from Athens, Georgia. Uh, the Bible actually encourages this kind of short-sighted timestamp. It encourages us to consider rightly our days. Like James 4, there's other places we could have gone, but James, James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This is in the same way that Ecclesiastes talks about life being a vapor. That we're like, we almost got it. We try to get our hands around it. And then as soon as we do, there it goes. Or even the, the right prophet Tim McGraw encourages us, live like you were dying. Skydiving, I went, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, thank you. So we're in this new series considering the brevity of life. And if that is true, (laughs) like Bruce Almighty, uh, if that's true, that our life really is a vapor, then how we live now matters. Particularly what we believe about the future is going to shape how we spend our days today. Uh, And so... This week, we're going to be talking about how we structure our time. Next week, we're talking about how we structure our talent, how we steward what we've been given. Uh, and then lastly, we'll talk about how to, um, how to steward our treasures, time, talent, and treasure. But the way that we're going to go about that is jumping right into the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 25 comes just on the heels of Jesus teaching about his return. Because again, what we believe about our future determines how we handle our present. And so what Jesus, the wisdom of what Jesus is about to do is peel back the layers and say, this is your future. And so then how do you wisely live with that being your future reality? So we're going to read Matthew 25, and then we're going to end with a verse out of Romans that we're going to read every week together. So Kat Shabby, come on up. 
start. <laughs> Good morning. This is Matthew 25, 1 through 13, and then Romans 12, 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kat. So we're calling this series Present, coming right out of Romans 12.1. And the assumption here is that the Christian believes that they are the creature, not the creator. And so what better way can we steward this life that we have been given than to give it back to the one who made us and say, help me. Help me understand what I do with this. I could take this life any sort of direction. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Assuming that if he created us, then he will also be the one who knows how we best operate, who knows how we best function, who knows how we best thrive. And so that's what we're going to endeavor over the next three weeks is what does a thriving life look like with our time, our talent, and our treasure. So today we're going to do that just by briefly looking at Matthew 25 in this parable, um, looking at the two characters or the two character groups that are represented. That is the foolish and the wise. Uh, so first we're going to hit on the foolishness of procrastination and then secondly, the wisdom of preparedness. So let's get into the story a little bit to understand what's going on here. Wedding customs in the ancient Near East were different than wedding customs that we're used to. This was not a go into the chapel and we're going to get married kind of culture. Uh, the, in fact, the groom was very much responsible for much of the wedding preparation in a way that the bride may do way more these days. Uh, the groom would go and prepare a place, would prepare his home for his new bride. And not only would he be preparing the home, he would also be preparing a party. Uh, and he, he and his friends would cook all the food, they would get everything ready, they would decorate, they would have everything set up, and then there would be a processional. And the, bride, or the groom and his posse would walk to the bride's home, and the bride and her bridesmaids and her servants and others would be gathered around, and then they would process together back to the groom's house and then have the ceremony and the party and everything to follow. That's the picture that's being drawn up here for us to understand and enter into this parable of Jesus. It had gotten especially late this time. This was normally kind of an evening event. 
but it, it had now tarried long into the evening, so long that everybody had started to fall asleep. Uh, it says around midnight even. That's how long this groom had taken. By the way, if you're confused, bridegroom and groom are the same thing. So I'm just going to say groom because it's shorter. And so there's this announcement. When the, the groom is on his way, that there's like this kind of trumpeteer. Doo, 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 here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. And this would have been something that the entire town would have been all up about. The, the fact that there would have been shops open for them to go buy oil in their lamps in the middle of the night says something about this is a whole town kind of festivity. And so there's this buzz coming as they see the torches lit, as the groom and his party is, is walking towards the bride's home. And then all, everybody wakes up. They're kind of in a stupor. They're wiping the drool off of their chins. They're kind of fixing their dresses. They're checking their breath and they're lighting their lamps. And they're getting ready because it's the middle of the night, it's dark, and there's about to be a journey, however long, from the bride's house to the groom's. And yet, five of them very quickly realize that there is a problem. They are ill-prepared for what is about to happen. Maybe they had their dresses, maybe they had their makeup, but for whatever reason, they were not anticipating everything that they needed. Maybe they weren't anticipating that he was going to be taking so long and it was going to drag into the night. Maybe the torches, they thought, oh, I'll just need to burn for a minute. We'll be able to run back. It'll be super quick. But they had one job. Prepare for the groom. Take the bride and walk her back into the party. This is your job. And yet five of them missed it. This is kind of like... Uh, when uh, the, the evening that Sarah and I got married, I had given my keys to one of my groomsmen. And he was going to lock up my house and then kind of come a little bit later because I had to be at the, uh, the wedding venue a little early. And the night goes by, of course, there's all kinds of things going on. And so I'm not really thinking about my house keys. I get to about, I don't know, 11 o'clock and we're about to leave and head back to uh, this condo that I had lovingly prepared for my bride. And, uh, and I'm like, where are my house keys? I can't get into my house. My, brides, or my, my groomsman had never given me those keys back. He was now at a bar in downtown Atlanta, very far away from where I was. Not in any sort of condition to bring me said keys. So I was left with my new bride to sit in my blue F-150. There were balloons everywhere. It was graffitied all over by all of my knucklehead groomsmen. And we were sitting outside my condo with the doors locked, popping balloons with one of Sarah's hairpins, waiting for Sarah's mom, who showed up with a camera, to unlock the door for us. <laughs> they had one job. They were not prepared. That was not helpful. And so there was this sense that those five just said, I, I'll just, I'll do it later. We'll figure it out. And we've all been guilty of that. You know, there's been plenty of ink spilled on how to not procrastinate. And the reason there's been so much ink spilled on it is because everybody does it. Uh, I am the chief of all sinners here. You can ask my seminary professors. But this isn't just talking about kind of putting off your laundry or putting off your homework, kids. 
This is talking about putting off preparation for the end of your life. Particularly, not living with a future mind in order. Not living with the end in mind, recognizing that the end is really near. And we do this so easily. Like, we, we just slip into going through the motions, right? We, we get up, we walk the dog, we make some breakfast, we go off to work, we come back from work. If there's kids, we're getting them to where they need to be. There's, we're putting kids to bed, we Netflix and chill, and then we rinse and repeat. And it's so easy for that to just become the rhythm of our lives, every day looking the same, every season looking the same, not realizing that the wisdom of Scripture says, Every season in your life is actually very short, very short, even baby stage, even baby stage. The wisdom then is if our life really is that short, what is our future? Can we know for sure where we are headed and then how does that begin to shape how we live our now? Matthew 24, just leading into this passage, Jesus directly teaches, this is what it's going to be like when I return. Either one of two ways, either you're going to die and be with me, or I'm going to come back and be with you. One of those two ways, that will be the end of our days. Matthew 24, 29 says this, immediately after the tribulation in those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The power of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear the heaven, in the heavens the sign of the Son of Man. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels. Here's some of this imagery. Sending out his angels in the same way that the bridegroom came to see his bride and then gathered her back in. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I have no idea what that's going to look like. But what we can know is that there is a day when that will happen. That if what the scripture attests to is true, if Jesus said these words, and if he is not only man but God, then he knows the future. And if this is it, that begins to then shape our present. So how do we walk forward with preparedness and wisdom? Not foolishly, like every day is the same, every year is the same. How do we, with intentionality, live these days knowing that they are short and knowing that that is the end? This is where I might lose you. Because visions of Jesus bursting through the clouds have terrified people for centuries. Many of the ways that we could read this, who you believe Jesus to be will impact everything about how your anticipation or dread of this day. Because one question, what do you think motivated the five bridesmaids who were prepared? If you look and, and listen in the story, live in their skin, what is it? What's their ultimate goal? Are they concerned that the groom is going to be there with his checklist and that when he comes, he's going to make sure they've dotted their I's and crossed their T's and have everything ready? Now, what does it say that they were anticipating? A party. They knew where they were headed. 
the groom was going to come, and then there was going to be a giant fiesta. That's what I'm excited about. And so because of that, they prepared themselves now. Kids, how many months ahead of time do you begin thinking about your birthday party? How, how far ahead of time do you begin to think, this is what we're going to do, and this is what we're going to have, we're going to make cotton candy, and we're going to have a bounce house, and there's going to be a magician, and not a weird one, and this is going to be the coolest thing ever. How, how far ahead of time do you anticipate the excitement of that day? In the same way, what are the bridesmaids being prepared for? They are adorning themselves for the party that's to come. If we believe that that's where we are headed, we will live today joyfully and intentionally. If we believe instead that Jesus is a cosmic police officer and that one day he is going to return and he's going to hit play on the recording of our entire life and he's going to cross his arms and he's going to shake his head. then you might be considering this day when he comes back differently. You may be considering that with a little more fear and dread. Or if, if Jesus is sort of this cosmic, ethereal grandpa in the sky who's just sort of aloofly kind of keeping the world spinning and hoping nobody messes it up too much, who's like, what's your name again? If that's who Jesus is, then I imagine you might not care all that much because you don't think he cares that much about how you live your life. The intentionality and the care that you live your life with would be reflective of his intentionality and care or lack thereof. But the image that's being portrayed here in Matthew 25 is not unique to Matthew 25. It is, it is one of the many images that is strung from one side of the Bible to the other, and that is of God as husband pursuing his bride. And this is not pursuing a glorious, lovely, faithful bride. This is pursuing an adulterous bride who, like in Hosea, continues to run away again and again, who continues to lust after other lovers again and again, who continues to push away and say, no, 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 again and again. And this picture of a pursuant husband who continues every time that bride runs away, he pursues her again. He loves her again. He woos her back again, more and more and more, convincing his bride of his deep love and care for her. That's the picture of our God in Scripture. That's the Jesus who is coming back. That's the image of what he is doing as he returns. He is ushering us into his great party, his great new heavens and new earth, this place that he has already gone to prepare for us. And with the joy and a delight that a husband delights over his bride, so he will delight in his people. And he has paid for that delight. And he has paid for his people. Because there was a bride price on his people's heads. There was a cost that it took Jesus to love us back. And that cost was the cross. But by his death and resurrection, by his ascension, and now soon to be his second coming, 
he is coming back for his bride that he has paid for with his life. If that's our Jesus, two questions. One, do you believe it? Is that who you believe him to be? And have you put yourself in such a place to say, I need, I have been wayward time and time again. I've tried to take my life back, take my time back, say, don't interfere with me anymore. Let me do what I want to with this life that is mine. Have it back. I open my hands again. I believe that your way is better. I believe that you actually love me more than me. I believe that you actually know what's right. Beginning more and more to pry our hands open to his love and grace. With power and with great glory, he will return and usher us into this great wedding supper of the Lamb. So then how in the world are we supposed to prepare? What does that mean for us now? If that's who Jesus is, if we have submitted ourselves to him and his pursuit, and now we long to live in his ways, awaiting that great day and that great party and that great forever with him. How do we begin to live our days now? Well, Jesus has been pretty clear. Also in the Gospel of Matthew, two different places. He gives us two greats. He gives the great commandment and he gives the great commission. Because whatever else your life is about, these are the two things. You can distill all of your life into two things. Great commandment, love God, love neighbor. Great commission, make disciples who love God and love neighbor. And those two things flow together. So really, as we talk about stewarding our time, we're really talking about stewarding our relationships. Does your life have an, a people focus to it? I struggle with this because I love to get stuff done. I've had coaches for years in church world stuff that have helped me to move, and my heart is continuing to let go of that, getting stuff done, and trusting that the best way I can structure my time and live my life is by investing in other people around me. He very clearly says, that is what your life is supposed to be about. I have a whole list of things that I can't wait to do in the new heavens and the new earth. I am going to learn to shred on an electric guitar. That is not what he has called me to right now. Paul Moak, that's what he's called you to. He has not called me to that right now. He has different things for me to spend my time doing now. But if I believe that that's where I'm headed, then I can open my hands to that. And I can say, I'm going to do that stuff, but I'm going to do that later. Now, I'm going to spend my life on what he says matters most for now. And so verse 13, the encouragement that Jesus gives is watch. And the, the word there is be awake. Stay awake so that you can continue to watch. My, my prayer for us over the next three weeks and over the next year is what A.W. Tozer calls God consciousness. Let me read you this quote and then we're going to come to the table. He says, as we begin to focus on God, the things of the Spirit will take shape before our inner eyes. A new God consciousness will seize upon us and we'll begin to taste, uh, we shall begin to taste and see and inwardly feel God. Don't you want that? who is our life and our all. Stay awake because our time is short. 
And would the Spirit give us new eyes to see both the brevity and the beauty of life uh, and the glorious eternal hope and inheritance and the glorious Jesus that is at the end of all things for us. And the beautiful thing about what we do at this table is of the many images and the many pictures that this gives us, it primarily gives us a picture of the wedding supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 gives this grand image of this banquet hall filled with all of the people through all of history that have trusted in Christ. And Jesus sitting at the head of the table as the groom, raising a glass. And then all of his people raising a glass and toasting. On Sundays at my house around the dinner table, we don't pray before dinner. We raise our glasses and say to the king. And that's the image and that's the idea. Like there is this sense of to the king. And so as we raise our glasses this morning, we are saying to our great king, who could have ruled us in any way that he wanted to, and yet he has ruled us by his love. And he has ruled us by his own self-sacrifice that we might open up our hands and receive and then give out of that. That's our king. And more and more he wants to convince us that that's who he is, and that's what this meal does. Uh, And so a couple of questions as we come to this table. One is, do you believe that? Do you believe that that is the end of history? That Jesus and his return and the glorious consummation and redemption of all things, you as bride, he as husband, being united in glorious relationship in a new heavens and a new earth forever. Do you believe that that's your story? And if you come to a place where you have tried enough times to run your own life and are able to now, Open your hands up and say, here, you can do this better than me. I present my time to you, the author and perfecter of it. To all who have trusted in Christ for their salvation and seen their ineptitude and inability to get into that party without being invited by Jesus. This is your table. Secondly, again, imagine that giant image of this this banquet hall party. That is the invitation of this meal because we do not live as individuals in the Christian life. We are a community. And this experience of church is part of that experience more broadly of all tribes, tongues, and nations that Jesus is gathering together to be his people. So are you living in community? Do other people know that you know Jesus and are helping you to walk more closely with him? And if those two things are true of you this morning, this is your table. So the way that we'll do this is you'll come down front Uh, There are these kneelers set up. Uh, You may kneel, and then you can, uh, if you're going to take communion, when you're ready, I invite you to take a moment to pray. When you're ready, you can open your hands. Uh, If you would like someone to pray for you, you can cross your arms. Uh, And take the space. Take the time. There aren't many moments in our week that we get this intentional time to stop and to open our hands to him again and say, you, this is your life. You paid for it. You bought it. I'm yours. Do with it what you will. If there's certain things in your life that aren't the way you want them to be right now, if there's certain ways to use the image of last week that you're looking 
uh, for the Lord to do some things and waiting on him to do some things this year in your life. Uh, there are some prayer cards in the back. And I invite you in the same way that we did down here uh, last week down front. You can continue that and write those prayers down and stick them in the cross in the back. Just as a, a little physical way uh, to give those over to the Lord. Okay? Uh, and so in the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body as often as you do this. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Holy Spirit, fill this room in the same way that those air ducts just did. We pray uh, that you would now uh, flood your people with your grace and mercy at this table. And would our hearts be so softened that we could open our hands up to you again and say, take my life. Take my life for you. Uh, so be near, oh God, be near. And we pray uh, that you would do this for your glory. Woo your people's hearts back to you again. We pray this in Christ.